Jesus is teaching uh, his disciples, John captures the teachings of Jesus as he is uh, already recognizing that he is going to pass away. He knows that uh, his life is about to be forfeited. And so in teaching that, he's trying to encourage the apostles. He's trying to encourage his friends that he's leaving behind. And he says this in verse 16 of chapter 14. It says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another. And the word there for another in the Greek is identical. He will give you an identical counselor. And he will be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. And the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. Now the counselor, that another that Jesus was talking about was the Holy Spirit. And from that day until today, the works and the idea of what the Holy Spirit does and who the Holy Spirit is continues to confuse Christians. I think if there's any principle of theology that Christians get wrapped up in or or get confused about, it's the idea of the Holy Spirit. And I think part of the problem is we try to explain something in material form, uh, in a concrete fashion, something that is spiritual, something that really can't be understood using the terms that we try to explain it. And, And I find so many Christians confused about what the Holy Spirit does, how the Holy Spirit fits in, and where the Holy Spirit goes. And how are we to relate to that, that they miss out on understanding really the central truth of how empowered they can be by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I could preach from now until next Christmas trying to cover the Holy Spirit and never really help us grab a hold of what it means. Because you see, our illustrations that we use to try to explain it never really fully explain it. I can remember in seminary when people would try to give illustrations to say, well, the Holy Spirit is, is like an egg, you know, it's all one, but yet you have the shell, which is God, and you have the white, which is Jesus, and you have the yoke, which is the Holy Spirit, which that sounds wonderful. But that's really not how the Holy Spirit is, because while he is one with three parts, if we had to save that same illustration, we would say that the, the shell is part of the yoke and the yoke is part of the shell and the white is part of all three because you see, you can't separate the three. I remember as a kid, one of my children's teachers telling me, think of it this way, when God is in heaven, he is God. When God was on earth, he was Jesus. And when God is in our heart, he's the Holy Spirit. And I thought for the longest time, that sounds great, and that's a wonderful way of explaining it. But we also need to remember that when God was on earth and he was Jesus, he was also God. And he was also the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me is the presence of God, but it's also the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And at the same time as God being in heaven, so is Christ and so is the Holy Spirit. And I don't tell you all of that to try to confuse you. I tell you all of that to say that there comes a point in the Christian's life where we just have to take Scripture and try to apply what it's teaching to us. And you see, even the apostles, even the disciples didn't get it. And, and we've been studying the, the Holy Spirit some in our study in the book of Acts. And Jesus promises the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he goes on in, in John chapter 14 and explains that the Holy Spirit will be the one who will guide us. He'll be the Holy Spirit that convicts us. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to live. But the disciples still didn't get it. And so we find them after Jesus' death in, in Acts where they are praying in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to come. And they don't know what to expect. And the Holy Spirit described there in Acts comes like a mighty rushing wind. It comes like fire and it fills each one of them. And in that understanding, as we've been working on Wednesday night and studying this, we began to realize that that the Holy Spirit's much more than that one time filling. 
You see, a lot of people get confused because after he has filled the people there at Pentecost, the apostles go around laying hands on people, and as they lay hands on people, they get filled with the Spirit. And so there's this idea in some churches today that to receive the Holy Spirit, you have to have somebody lay hands on you, or that there is somehow a separate filling of the Holy Spirit apart from the moment you become a Christian. We see Acts teaches us pretty clearly that the moment you accept Jesus Christ, you get all of the Holy Spirit. There is no extra that is to come later. You say, what about those people laying hands in Acts chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9? We have to understand, and, and come on Wednesday nights and we've been discussing this, but you have to understand, people came to know Jesus and accepted Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit. Jesus walked among them and they accepted him as their Lord and Savior. And it wasn't until after Jesus died and was resurrected that the Holy Spirit came. And so these people in other parts of Israel hadn't heard about the Holy Spirit. It came at Pentecost, and when it came at Pentecost, it didn't come to everybody, just those gathered in the upper room. And so as the apostles are teaching, and they're going out and laying on their hands, the Holy Spirit is coming upon those who had already received Jesus Christ. And from that moment on, everybody that received Jesus or Christ received the Holy Spirit. So you now have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Even in our study of Ephesians, we've seen in Ephesians chapter 1 that Paul says the Holy Spirit is a seal he is the guarantee of God working in your life. Now, I know some people say, how do you know you have the Holy Spirit? Well, you'll have a certain gift. Maybe in some denominations they'll say you'll speak with the gift of tongues. The only problem with that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says not every believer will have the gift of tongues. So that can't be a sign gift. It can't be a mark Paul says in Ephesians in our study that, that the Holy Spirit is a seal. And he goes on to say the only sign that you know that you have the Holy Spirit is found in Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. And so you have all of the Holy Spirit. And we spent a couple of weeks, several months ago, as we studied in Ephesians in chapter 3, where we talked about what it meant for the Holy Spirit to dwell in you, to make a home. And so I, I tell you all of that to lay the foundation for a verse we're going to look at today, and it's only one verse, and it's a simple verse, but it's a verse that gets misquoted, and it can add to the confusion if you don't understand it. And so before I get started, and I'm not going to be long this morning. I know we've had so much other stuff going on, so I'm only covering one verse, but it's an important verse. And it's one that I think if you can grasp, it will change your life. But you have to understand this fact. Right now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've accepted him in your heart, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The very presence of God is inside of you right now. So I want you to say, welcome Holy Spirit. Say it. Like you believe it. Welcome Holy Spirit. I got it all. Say it. Do you have it all? I got it all. You have all the Holy Spirit you'll ever need in your life. Because you see, the question is not how you go get more of the Holy Spirit. You got all you need. The question for us this morning is, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Because you see, that is what makes the difference between you seeing the power of God and you walking a, a Christian life that can be frustrated. So let's look at our passage, and, and as I said, it's only one passage this morning, um, but I wanted to say all that to help clear up any confusion, because this passage sometimes adds to the confusion, and so I wanted you to hear it in context, so I'm going to read, uh, going back, starting in verse 15, but we're really only going to look at 18 this morning. 
Now understand, Paul is talking about what it looks like to live the Christian life, how we are called to live, how we are called to walk as a Christian. He's telling us we need to learn to live according to who God says we are. A life of power, a life of grace, a life of love, a life of mercy, an abundant life, the full life that Jesus was talking about. And he's telling us how. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And we looked at that verse last week, but it sets us up for this verse in 18. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So as he's telling us all that we are supposed to do as Christians, he comes to this passage and he throws this verse in there. And, and I thought it was kind of funny that we we're talking about drinking wine on Mother's Day. Uh, not that there's any correlation between the two. Uh, I just thought that was funny. I thought God has a pretty good sense of humor. Uh, but he says, uh, using an illustration that almost all of his readers in Ephesus surely would have understood, he said, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, there's two concepts in that passage that confuse a lot of Christians. So before I get into what he means here about having all of you, I want to tell you what this verse doesn't say, okay? Because so many people get so wrapped up into things that this verse doesn't say. First of all, this verse does not say Christians are not supposed to drink alcohol. It doesn't say Christians are not supposed to drink wine. It doesn't say that alcohol is bad, It also doesn't say, and I've heard all of those talk from this passage, it also doesn't say that when you get filled with the Spirit, you're going to act like someone who's drunk. I've heard it taught that way. You see, what you need to recognize is what Paul is doing is he is using an illustration that the readers in Ephesus would understand. And and I've taught you this before, that, that I do not believe you can teach abstinence from drinking alcohol from a biblical standpoint. I just don't think it's clear. Now, if you don't want to drink alcohol because you understand it can be addictive, you've seen it destroy families, which it does, you've seen the harm in it, then that is your conviction. But we need to be very careful walking that line of liberty. I think it's one of those things that we have to understand freedoms and and to teach that the Bible says don't drink because of this verse is adding something in there that's not there. Now, understand when you talk about the freedoms we have in Christ, the Bible is pretty clear that we are not to waive our freedom in other people's lives and we are not to allow our freedoms to become a stumbling block to other believers. But it also teaches that we're not to push our convictions on other people as if it's theirs. So we need to be very careful. Now what does he say? He clearly says don't get drunk. He said it is a sin to get drunk. And now you need to understand the context for what he's saying. In Ephesus, as we've already talked about, there are huge temple worships. There are cult worships to the gods that are the Roman gods and the Greek gods. We know that the temple of Artemis is there. Diana, it's the largest uh, temple in the known world. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. But they also have a temple to Dionysus. And probably every one of Paul's believers that are reading this, especially the Gentiles, understood that to go to the temple of Dionysus, who was the god of wine, to be a part of that worship, you had to drink and consume so much wine that you became intoxicated. And when you became intoxicated, that allowed you to let control of your life go and give control over to the spirit of wine. It was a common used terminology. And so what Paul is doing is he's, he's throwing in this illustration that his readers really understand. 
and helping us to understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's an issue of control. Matter of fact, it's an issue of being under the influence. Now, as we talk about this, we need to recognize the emphasis of this passage is not the first part. It's the second part. It's not the do not be drunk with wine. I think that's pretty clear on the dangers of being drunk and what drunkenness can bring. But the emphasis for you and I is how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now that term in and of itself adds some confusion, doesn't it? Because when you talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, I just had you say what? I have it all. I got it all. Well, how can you get it all and yet still be filled? Doesn't by its very nature saying I have it all imply that you're filled? You see, that's the problem sometimes with our English language because our English language only presents some interpretation, whereas the Bible was written in a different language. They spoke Aramaic, and it was written in Greek. And in the Greek language, for the word filled, it has three meanings. And so I want you to, without trying to go overboard into the Greek and what the Greek means, I want to help explain to you what being filled is. Because when we think of being filled, we think of like filling a glass, right? It's partially empty, so you have to fill it. Or filling your car. When your car is on empty, you have to go fill it. And so a lot of believers believe that being filled with the Spirit somehow indicates that they're empty. That you ran out. I hear Christians all the time. It's a long week and I'm running on low and, and I'm struggling. And so I got to come to church and I'm here at church and I need the pastor to pull out the Holy Spirit. And maybe we'll sing that favorite song of mine and the Holy Spirit will come and, and he'll fill me up. You know, top it off, preacher. I got a long week, right? It's a misreading of what the passage is saying. You see, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is an idea of control. It's the word pleru, and pleru in the Greek has really three meanings that all help us understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And the first place that we find that word being used is when it describes something being used of force. It means the wind that fills the sails of a sailing vessel. When the wind comes and it blows and it fills the sail, it's not filling it, is it? There's not an indication of an empty glass being filled. What does it do? It takes all control of that sail, and in taking control, it leads and guides that boat. And so what Paul is saying here is when he says we need to be filled with the Spirit, he is telling us that it is the Holy Spirit that leads us. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers us. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in every area of our life. Every decision that you make to give you the power. Some of you this week are saying, Pastor, I just can't go on. I, I've had a mess of a week. In my marriage, at work, as a parent, I just can't go on. I'm pulling my hair out. I need a big glass of wine. Why are you talking about wine, right? Well, Paul says, listen, I got something better than wine. I've got the Holy Spirit. And it will not only fill you, it will empower you. It will lead you. It will guide you. He says, it is a force that leads us, that guides us, that empowers us. And the second way pleru is used is it's used to define something that permeates something else. Now, when we think about permeate, it's hard for us to really understand how two things can become one. Now, if you grew up in the South, in the South, we like our tea sweet. Amen? Amen. If you can't amen that, then you're not, you need to leave. So... 
We like our tea sweet. And, and the more sweet tea has spread outside of the South, you may go somewhere and they will serve you tea that they call sweet, but it ain't sweet. Amen. Have you been there? Somebody hands you something, says it's sweet tea, and you go, no, 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 this ain't sweet tea. Now, I was raised as a kid how to make southern sweet tea. If my mother taught me anything, she taught me how to make southern sweet tea. And the way that you make it is as you get your tea bags and you boil that, you get your sugar and you put it in the pot. And when that tea is hot as can be, you pour that hot tea. Some people pour the sugar right into that hot tea. My mom taught me you take the hot tea and you pour it over the sugar and you stir as you pour. Because what that does is that allows the hot tea to melt that sugar. And you see what happens is that sugar dissolves and it permeates every area of that tea. And then you put your water in and you stir. Now you see what happens with most of the Yankees that try to make sweet tea is they pour the tea bags in and they pour the water in and they get a little sugar, usually never enough sugar, and they pour it in and they try to stir. Well, listen, I don't care how much you stir, it ain't sweet tea. I don't want to see sugar at the bottom of my glass, right? I want to know that when I'm drinking that tea, I can hold the cup up and sugar has gone all the way through it. It permeates it. Amen. And see, that's what Paul says the power of the Holy Spirit does when we give him control, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. God's presence permeates every area of my life. There's not a part that hadn't been stirred in. There's not a part that's not mixed in with the other. And so I can't go out and say, I'm going to live apart from the Spirit today because he permeates everything. The flavor of Jesus is in every part of my life. It permeates it. It empowers it. And the third way he uses this idea of being filled is is the idea of control. It's the idea of being totally under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's the most common use that we find in the New Testament. It always tends to indicate submission of yourself and allowing something else or someone else to control every aspect of your life. You see, you can say that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, but you're not really filled until he is empowering you, until he is permeating you, until he is in total control of everything that you do. Now, there's a couple other things that the language brings out that sometimes we have a tendency to miss. You see, not only is he saying that we are totally empowered, that we are totally filled, the issue is not trying to go get more of the Holy Spirit. The issue is allowing the Holy Spirit to come get more of us. And this is where the illustration of drinking wine comes in. When someone is drinking, and and if they're drinking and get behind the wheel of a car and they're arrested, what do we say that they are? DUI, right? Driving under the influence. Driving while intoxicated. That driving under the influence means what? They were driving under the control of an unknown substance. And so Paul is saying that instead of being under the control of something else or someone else, you need to submit yourself and be totally under the control of God. So here's the question for us. If the Holy Spirit is not in total control of your life, what is? Or who is? Because see, Paul is saying that we have got to be filled. The thing about that word there being filled, and I I don't want to turn into an English nerd because I didn't do real good in English. But English helped me when I began to study other languages because it helped you understand verb tenses. And verb tenses are important. And you see this word here for being filled is what we call the imperative form. 
And those of you that are English nerds know that the imperative form is a command, right? He's not just saying, hey, by the way, you need to be filled. You know what he's saying? Be filled. It is a command to every believer. And so if it is a command, God's not going to command us to do anything that can't be possible. So what Paul is saying is we are called, we are encouraged that it is almost impossible for you to live the Christian life that God is calling you to unless you are filled totally with the Holy Spirit. But not only is it in the imperative form, something else I found interesting, it's also in the present tense. So it is present imperative. You following along if you're diagramming? Present imperative. Be filled. Which means that it is something that is taking place now, but also taking place in the future. You say, well, Rusty, you just told us that when I got saved, I got everything I need. Yes, you did. Well, then how can I be getting filled now and be getting filled in the future? What, what does he mean there? He means that you are slowly in your Christian life taking your hands off of control and giving that control over to God. That is how I can be filled, I will be filled, and I will continue to be filled. Because each of us, as we submit to the Holy Spirit and take our hands off, God fills us. You see, being filled with the Spirit is not some one-time thing. It's not you coming to the altar and having an emotional experience. It's not an ecstatic utterance. It's not something that you're supposed to go and seek after. It is a command to you to take your hands off of control of every area of your life and allow the Holy Spirit, God's very presence, to have it all. He says you need to be filled. And and the last thing about this verb is not only is it in, in the present tense, but it's also in the passive voice. And in the passive voice means that while we are called to be filled, we can't fill ourselves. What Paul was saying is somebody else has to do the filling. If there's anything we've learned in Ephesians, please hear me. You cannot live this kind of Christian life just in your own strength. You you can't do it. You can read the Bible. Please hear me. Because we're going to start talking about marriage in two weeks, really next week. We're going to start talking about husbands and wives. We're going to start talking about raising kids and, and kids to your parents. And that's Ephesians 5. You can't do some of those things in your own strength. You can't make a list of what I'm going to teach you and go home and try to apply those things and hope that they come through. You can't live empowered in your prayer life and your discipleship life on your own because you'll never make it. You see, you have got to have the interruption of the Holy Spirit. Somehow, something bigger than yourself, the presence of God, will enable you to be able to do that. And apart from that, you won't. You'll fail. And you'll get frustrated and you'll blame the church and you'll blame God and you'll blame me. When in reality, you need to recognize you can't fill yourself. And in being filled, as we are being filled, it's not something we ever run out of. And that's another one of those confusion things about being filled. We say, well, you know, I'm running low, so I need some more to be filled. And so tomorrow I'm going to get filled. No, you are filled now and you'll be filled tomorrow. And you'll, you, what you think is filled now is nothing compared to what you can be filled. As you submit yourself to God. You see, it's all an issue of control. It's all an issue of you taking your hands. I call it living under the influence. And it's the only way you can experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And the reason so many believers, and, and listen, I'm done. The reason so many believers don't experience power in their prayer life, power in their worship, power in their witness, is because they haven't taken their hands off and given control to God of every area of their life. 
They haven't submitted themselves. They haven't trusted. It's, it's faith. Hadn't trusted God with my banking account. Hadn't trusted God with my business decisions. Hadn't trusted God with my personal life. Hadn't trusted God with what I read or what I watch. You see, we hold those things back and we say, I've got all of God. No, you don't. You've settled and you've grown comfortable. It's time to take your hands off and say, Father, fill me. But that can only happen when you take your complete control out of your own hands. Some of you know, a couple of weeks ago, I went to Florida with some friends, and, and blessing, I've got a friend that served with me in ministries, minister, music minister all of his life, and uh, when we were serving in Chattanooga, his wife started a business there in their home, and I uh, really felt called to it. Ten years it's been going on, and, and it's a wonderful business called 31 Gifts Now, and some of you may have seen that, and uh, uh, thank you if you've ever purchased a 31 gift that allowed me to go uh, spend time with them on their boat that 31 Gifts purchased in Florida a couple of weeks ago. We continue to do that. I hope to do it every year. Um, but God has blessed them in 10 years. They've gone from in their home to having nothing to uh, a billion-dollar business and, and employing mothers and wives all over the country uh, based on Christian principles. It's based on Proverbs 31. That's why it's called 31 Gifts. But Scott, who's one of my best friends, every year he has me down. And uh, the last couple of years he's had boats, and, and I, I don't call them boats. They're yachts. He, he buys bigger boats as God continues to bless. And, and uh, this year we went down. He's got a 80-foot uh, yacht that he had down in Florida, and all we planned on do was just cruising Florida. He and I and another guy. And, uh, unfortunately, our wives came this year, and so uh, we got to spend some time with them and, and enjoy their presence. But before the wives came, we were just tooling out in the Gulf of Mexico. And this yacht up on the fourth deck, which is the flybridge, I learned to call it, they, is where you can control it. They have a cockpit area, but then they have this bridge where everything is controlled. It's all technical, and it's all... And, and so he is up there, Scott, my friend, and he is leading us on a path that's going to take us to a town we're going to eat supper at. And so I'm up there sitting and looking. It's all this stuff I can't understand. He's trying to explain it to me. It, it makes no sense. It's like looking at the cockpit of an airplane. And he says, I'm going to go downstairs for a little bit. You take over. It's an $8 million boat. I can't afford to fill the gas up on the boat. And he says, you take over. And I'm looking at all these things, and it's got this steering wheel. It's got about eight thrusters and guides. He said, oh, by the way, he said, the autopilot's on. You don't have to do anything. Just don't touch the wheel. Okay, he said, if you touch the wheel, the autopilot will kick off. And then we'll be in trouble. You'll be in charge. And I sat there for a while. For the first few minutes, I was scared to death. He left. I mean, he just didn't go sit down. He went downstairs. There was nobody else. Me, in the Gulf, $8 million boat. What happens if something happens? And the autopilot, I, you could watch the boat turn and move according to the path that he'd set out. Every once in a while, there's a temptation to want to just grab that wheel. Get a little captain hat there, put the captain hat on, right? Skipper. But the autopilot did it all. And I thought to my own life, I thought how many times when I uh, asked Christ into my heart that he allowed the Holy Spirit to come inside. And God said, listen, I'm going to put it on autopilot. And this is the course. This is the direction. This is how I want you to go. 
This is going to keep you out of trouble. This is going to keep you from heartache. This is going to help you get through those difficulties and circumstances in life that you don't know how you'll ever get through. All you've got to do is take your hands off, trust the autopilot, and move. And I think of how many times in my life I've reached up and grabbed the wheel. Said, maybe you don't know where we're going, God. I like it over here. Or maybe I've pulled back the throttle. You see, being filled with the Spirit means not you have more of the Holy Spirit. It means He has more of you. So again, let me ask you, if He's not in control of your life, who is? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And God, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. God, there is nothing more than we need this morning than for you to have a monopoly in our lives. That God, you could have it all. And Father, I know this morning there are some that, that, Father, other things have taken over. God, there's other priorities. There's other controlling issues. And Father, I pray this morning that we could make that commitment to say, Holy Spirit, come, fill me this morning. Take every area of my life, all of those places that I didn't think anybody could see, those places that I keep going back and grabbing the wheel, take it this morning, God, and make it yours. Father, I pray that we would experience the power like never before, the power in our prayers, the power in our dependence on you, the power in our worship, the power in our witness as we share your love that comes from knowing that, that we're on autopilot. All I have to do is just continue to follow you. Fill us this morning, Holy Spirit. Father, there are some here this morning that are brokenhearted. There are some here this morning that are angry, some that are disappointed. And it's easy to place blame on some church or some preacher, somebody that hurt us in the past. Some even place blame on you, God. Father, I pray your healing hand would touch them. And they would recognize that your Holy Spirit is there as a comforter to bring mercy and peace if they trust you. God, we come filled with your Holy Spirit, but still thirsty, still wanting more. Your word promises to all who are thirsty, you will be filled. God, that's our prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?